Hello and welcome to Pod Sequentialism. I am your host, Matt Kennedy. Pod Sequentialism is taped at Meltdown Comics and Collectibles and is brought to you by La Luz de Jesus Gallery, the Wacko Soap Plant Superstore in Los Feliz, California, neighborhood of Los Angeles, and also of Gallery 30 South out in Pasadena and of the Pop Sequentialism Traveling Exhibition of Comic Book Art and the website and catalog that actually launched this podcast. So um, if you're on comic art fans at all and you uh, want to check out some of the, the, p- the pages, original art pages that are for sale from the original Pop Sequentialism exhibition and others, you can kind of check in and see what we have available. And I try and price stuff pretty realistically and give an opportunity for people who really want important stuff to be able to collect it. And by virtue of it being in that catalog, it has added provenance, which makes it in the art world a little bit more valuable as well. So what I wanted to talk about today, and um, today's a very interesting day. We've got, um, last night we had at Gallery 30 South an event with Charles Moriarty and Esme Bianco from Game of Thrones on on the um, the late pop singer Amy Winehouse. And it was interesting to hear perception from um, people who knew her about how different the trajectory is for American celebrities and British celebrities. You know, we're two countries that basically look alike. Uh, we speak the same language and our cultures are based on the same set of rules. And yet when it really comes down to it, there really is a middle class in in the UK, which doesn't really seem to exist as much anymore in the United States. And when pop stars, be they musicians or even, you know, footballers come up from poverty. There's a different sense in in the UK of wanting to see them assail and wanting to see them fail. And in the US, there's a, a bit of a more uh, altruistic outlook about that. And I thought about that as I was sort of processing the passing of a friend recently And someone who was an important part of the L.A. art scene was uh, a man named Greg Escalante. And Greg was the money guy behind launching the art magazine Juxtapose, which I believe is the most um, read art publication in the English language. And he was also uh, one of the partners in the Copper Nason Gallery, which is now just the Copper Gallery. And he had opened up a second space in Chinatown called Gregorio Escalante. And for people who had met or knew Greg, he was a, a, a kind of both a colorful character and a kind of withdrawn character. He dressed very flashy and, and, and never heard him say anything bad about anybody, to be quite honest. And he was seen as kind of a, you know, a mascot slash father figure for a lot of people in the pop surrealist field. And because he was the publisher of Juxtapose, there has been a lot of, you know, I guess for lack of a better word, um, responsibility um, put on, on him for the success of the movement. And I think it's important to note that Juxtapose, of course, had a lot of different editors who steered the magazine in different directions. Um, Certainly his partner at Copper Gallery, uh, Gary Pressman, was more responsible for the exhibitions. And so what we're really left with is an interesting perception of what a lot of people may may have thought 
his role was as opposed to the role that he did play. And I think that what was important and no less important, I think, than having been central to the selection of artists, which I don't think he really was, but that he was just such a great supporter by virtue of his collecting that bankrolling a magazine that embraced that same type of culture, that kind of lowbrow pop surrealist culture, it can't be understated in the success of the movement. And I think certainly it would not have reached the masses to the degree that it did without Juxtapose, even as that magazine went went on into different tangents and became more of a kind of very widely distributed San Francisco San Francisco local magazine. Um, and I think it started to kind of pop back into being a little bit more worldly in the last couple of years. They've been through several different design changes. But I think that um, one thing that happens when people pass away and it became evident in the um, early hours after the initial reports of his death that he had actually taken his own life. And I think that there is this automatic assumption of depth that gets put on people um, when they die. And it's, it's interesting to see that a lot of people are posting pictures that they took with him. And I think that there's some aspect of paying tribute to someone and there's some aspect of paying tribute to oneself by connecting to someone that has sort of arrived or has been seen as being important. And it's it's hard to kind of balance like how I, I look at this stuff and as, as someone who knew him. And I didn't know him better than anybody. You know, I knew him fairly, I mean, I guess... Um, in a, a sort of surface capacity and that we were both gallerists. And I think that there might've been a perception in, at different times that because we ran different galleries that, that we didn't get along. And that was not the case. We got along really well. And uh, he was a really fun guy to, to, to hang out with. And especially in events that were outside of Los Angeles, when we were participating in exhibitions at museums and Taos and other places that, um, you know, we'd get more of an opportunity to, to, to hang out, so to speak, than just be a couple of professionals in the room that, people want to take pictures of and I've, I made a conscious decision not to put up any of the photographs I had of, of us together because I didn't want it to seem like I was in some way cashing in uh, on the fact that I had known him and it's it's odd to see and I think that there's we've seen at least you know in the last year it's been really really tragic that we've lost a lot of people that were musicians and there's been there was a rash of suicides you know, almost everybody hanging themselves. And, you know, it, it kind of, it's reminiscent of the movie Heathers in a way, where there's this idea that one one teen suicide is going to kick off a bunch of other teen suicides. And, you know, that idea is the mask for the, the murders that happen in that movie that are made to look like teen suicides. Um, but there seems to be some kind of element of truth to that, that in, in the zeitgeist, there becomes a kind of death key. And different people tune into that signal in the universe. And I think that there is a danger of covering and publicizing and aggrandizing um, suicides to an extent. And I think that, you know, most recently with the passing of Chester Bennington from Lincoln Park, that there are a lot of people who you know, seem to be really, really affected by it. And I, I 
I knew a couple of the guys in that band just in passing, and they they were all really good guys. They're kind of very laid back guys. Um, I would I'd have to say that of all of the people that had um, had died recently, especially in the world of music, that his death was the most surprising to me, in that um, he had gone through such a a tough time and come out really on top of the world on the other side that it seemed like, you know, if you can get through someone kind of gaslighting you and ruining your life on social media and what happened is someone had hacked all his accounts and was sending messages to various people in his life that they thought were from him and uh, sending, you know, messages to him that he thought were from other people. And, of course, that's that's maddening. That is the type of thing that can drive somebody insane. And the fact that he was able to kind of pull through that and bounce back, and then they had a huge album after that, which I believe was the biggest of their career, and um, you kind of take it for granted that um, that it's there's a lot going on in people's lives that you don't see necessarily on the surface of things. And you know, as we record this today, the, uh, today would have been my dad's 88th birthday. If he had if he had lived, and he he was not a suicide; he died of cancer uh, back in uh, 2001. And I think sometimes when people hear me talk about that, they know that I'm from Boston. They maybe make the assumption that. Um, because my dad died in 2001 and his birthday was in September that they kind of crossed those streams and it's, they think that he died in September 11th, you know, and that's not the case. But, um, because of those two dates and because we are, you know, tomorrow is going to be September 11th, kind of the, one of the most important, um, you know, cultural, um, events of the, of, of this age, if not any age, and uh, it brings up a lot of, of issue about how people process grief and how people deal with death. And while we've addressed on this, this podcast before, you know, the, the idea of characters that die in comics and, and how that affects us, I think it's important to, to kind of look at in the, in the context of your own life and with the people that you know, what, what it means not just to you personally when, when someone passes and you can, you can have loved somebody or you can have hated somebody. I think it's important to be conscious of the fact that there are a lot of, a lot of people out there who are going to have differing opinions. And the, the best way to handle that is to not say anything negative. I think it's a real big mistake to do that. I think it, it plays into a, um, a sort of downward spiral of ungraciousness that, um, borders on cruelty. And I think that, um, you know, as, as, as this week has been a pretty tough week for a lot of people in the Los Angeles art scene, that there's going to be a lot of very grandizing testimonies that are going to come out. And I think that there's going to be a certain elevation of people who are just regular people into almost mythic status. And I, I warn against that as well, that I think that it's important to remember people as they really were and not necessarily idealize them but to have no to have no problem with those faults that you know certainly when when people choose to to exit early that's that's their choice i don't think that um i don't think that uh, i i have the ability to judge anybody else for their actions as it suits themselves and i don't know what kind of pain and misery they're experiencing and whether it's physical or whether it's mental or whether it's emotional, it's really hard for someone on the outside of that to to see it 
to understand it and to be able to assess and process it since we all have a different value that we put on the emotions and outside influences in our lives. So what can seem like spilt milk to one person is can, can be an absolute major catastrophe to somebody else because of the way that they have prioritized the things that are important. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to view it in a way that you accept it immediately. And I think it, it certainly it's, it's much more difficult to process the, um, passing of an individual who has, has chosen their own their own death and when it seems seemingly out of the blue uh, then it would be even for someone who dies tragically by accident and certainly um, at least when someone is is sick that you have a certain amount of preparation and I think that that does give you an opportunity to cushion that blow and process whatever it is you need to process as it's happening and uh, you don't necessarily need to defer those emotions but we're going to go ahead and take a a little quick break and uh, when we get back we're going to uh, dive into Um, Some other events that I think have far-reaching consequences for the Los Angeles and possibly world uh, art scene. So uh, tune into a message from one of our sponsors, and we'll be back in 60 seconds. Hello, and welcome to Pod Sequentialism. I'm your host, Matt Kennedy. Uh, We are talking about, and have been talking about, kind of... uh, huge news in the contemporary art world with the passing of Greg Escalante and, um, you know, using that as kind of a jump off point to talk about how, um, how we do deal with, with loss. I think that one thing that, um, aside from just the personal and, um, what, what other people might can see man, anecdotal, uh, elements of, of this particular, um, you know, tragedy, is that it's going to be really hard to understand exactly the impact of this one person until we start to see the ripple effect that obviously as the owner of an art gallery, that gallery's future is now up in the air. Without the guy that was signing the checks, um, still there to sign the checks, there's probably going to be a state um, dispute. There's going to be... A, um, it has to be, in, unless there already was, uh, some kind of clear division of what each person who was employed by him is going to continue to do if they're going to continue to do it, if whoever is the beneficiary of his estate and funds decides to carry on with it. Um, I think with the magazine, it's a whole different story because I believe that um, he was an investor, an early investor, not not the owner of the magazine, so that um, I don't think that there will be any interruption to the publication of, of Juxtapose. And of course, that remains to be seen, but I, I think that's a fairly safe assumption. But that um, with two galleries and uh, with, with shows on the books, that it could very much um, impact the lives of people who had been putting together exhibitions that may not happen. And, you know, we would, uh, of course, hope that everybody is able to bounce back in a timely manner. But I think that no matter what, there's going to be interruption to at least a couple of scheduled shows. I don't see how it's possible for that not to happen um, when there's going to be a likely freeze on the estate as people try and figure out, you know, um, who gets paid, who doesn't. I mean, if I, I own a business and... 
if um, if I've collected um, funds for something that I've sold and I disappear or die before that gets paid out, then unless everybody knows um, what's been paid and to whom and who has um, the the um, the right to those monies, then it's it's going to freeze. It's going to stop, and it's going to take some kind of outside um, examination of that in order to move it forward in the best and smoothest possible way. And so, I I, I hope that uh, people are going to be understanding about that. That it's it's easy, especially in uh, the art world, where an exhibition is insular. In that, if one person has a solo show, that show is to them all about them. And I think that um, it's very easy to become not just bereft, but, um, you know, incensed about the possibility of a show on the books that was promised um, to not exactly happen as it was supposed to. And um, I hope there's an allowance and acceptance that people can kind of get things back onto the schedule to the degree that that can happen. And um, I certainly hope that if any of those people are experiencing any of those types of difficulties, that they they feel free to reach out to me, and uh, to the degree that I can, I would I would help to place some of those uh, shows, if not at my own galleries, then hopefully with other people. But um, I think it's also a a real a real interesting point of analysis that um, whether or not. Greg personally booked the shows at Copro. He probably had a, a very big influence on the on the shows that he booked at Gregorio Escalante. Um, but even without that, even as just a money guy, like if he were just the investor, that shows how important the role of the patron is. That someone who bankrolled basically an entire mini industry, um, who perhaps didn't have the um the upfront um impact of some of the people that came before him and certainly wasn't as much in talent development as some of the people who were around uh during and after but that just that presence just because he was there it allowed an entire you know subgenre to build and flourish and that subgenre employs thousands of people now and that will continue that that will not stop that's going to continue to to grow and to have success and so i i think that it's important for all of us to understand what an important role patronage is when you purchase art whether it's music and whether that means that you're buying a digital download or a cd or a record or a ticket to a concert or whether it's uh, acting, and that can be whether you watch a film in the movie theater or at home or go to a play um, and into a less um, commercial aspect, support performance art, um, or a dance choreography event or a ballet, um, and or whether it's paintings or drawings or sculpture, that when you support the person who has been largely responsible for that via that purchase, regardless of the level of that purchase, you are making a really large impact on that person's ability to continue doing something that they love and continue doing something that you love that they do. And, you know, I'm not going to get off on a tangent about, you know, 
illegal downloads and that type of thing. I think that's a completely different issue. But I think that even people who do download a certain amount of stuff um, illegally do put some of their own money into things that they purchase. And the things that you're buying do have a dramatic and positive effect that because you are there, because you are a patron, because you are a, a client or a customer of this type of thing, that even at the small level, if there's 500 people that are all spending $10, then that's still $5,000 that goes towards that person's ability to continue creating. And that is that collective of, of, um, of people has the same impact as one person who makes that same purchase. And, you know, that doesn't mean you're necessarily all going to get the VIP seats, but you know that it, it does mean that it is important. It is an important thing to continue to do. And I think that we saw in the weeks after the passing of Chester Bennington, that all of Lincoln Park's um, prior records hit the charts again. Some of them went platinum. They had not gone platinum yet and did um, because he was so much in the zeitgeist and the collective conscious. And certainly people were understanding that they did feel one way or another about his music and about this product that he had left behind and went out and re-explored it and reacquainted themselves with it. And it's, it's maybe more a tragedy that it took his death for that to happen but I think that it is still important that people are going back and reclaiming this thing that he was such a major part of creating and making it their own by giving it the context that things only have when they happen within your own life. And I think that I was listening to um, an old interview with um, with Walter Becker, who was one of the two principal members of the band, Steely Dan, and he also just passed away recently. And um, you know, he had cancer, and it was uh, he, he was a very private person, and it, and it occurred to me that here's a guy from one of the most important musical um, acts of modern music, and we knew nothing about him, really. I mean, honestly, we didn't really know what he did on the records, to be quite honest. And um, they, you know, Steely Dan were touring again um, after a band that in their early years didn't tour much. They became a tour machine in the in the late 80s and continued to, to play. Um, appreciation for their early work uh started to really come back after an episode of classic albums um which got into the asia album and people understood just how much work went into that record and why it sounds so good and you have these kind of esoteric guys that are kind of snarky that produce this music and you realize that um that that was the first face that anybody saw of the band that you know none of their albums actually had pictures of the guys on it and you know when you look at um you know Walter Becker and this amazing career he had, you're going to see a lot of people re-exploring uh, Steely Dan and re-appreciating that. And you know, what a very different type of music, but what a very similar type of outcome in that it's death is very impactful. It, it is a, a thing that most people are afraid of. And so that fear carries on a, a life of itself. I mean, that's that's the central tenet of the Stephen King movie It in the book, you know, that, that fear is this tangible thing. It's a real thing. That uh, this thing that we're afraid of is this physical thing that follows us around. And um, whether or not we can see it, its presence is the same as any real thing in a room. 
you know, that, that if I have a tangible fear, it is as real as this microphone that I'm speaking into. It's just not visible to everybody. And I think that death is definitely one of those, um, you know, it, it, people will say it's unquantifiable, but that in that, that is certainly true to a degree, but I think that it, it can be a very interesting codifier in that it causes a certain amount of attention to be driven back into the quality of a person's existence. And so, um, you know, everybody's going to say, and certainly anytime anybody dies, someone's going to say, you know, be sure that you, you talk to the people in your life and let them know that you care. And you, of course, you should absolutely do that. But I also think that um, understand that we don't have any more control over anybody else than we have over ourselves. And a lot of people don't feel like they have adequate control over themselves. So the idea that there would be any responsibility laid on the shoulders of others is sort of a, um, a cop out. And um, I, I think that it's it's really a good and positive um, thing to not idolize and idealize the people that have left, but you can still appreciate what they did when they're gone. And um, this is going to be a short episode because I think that that pretty much covers everything that we've been talking about. And I would certainly like for people to go on to the pod sequentialism facebook page and you know feel free to to post um you know if, if there's has been any recent loss and you feel like you need to express it to please do um also feel free to you know pick our brains about the things that we've talked about on the show um uh, mason reminded me just recently that we're, we're starting to cruise in on the 100th episode which is going to be kind of a big landmark you know to get 100 episodes out there and um, and so we're thinking about what exactly that's going to entail, and I'm probably going to be one of the bigger guests um, for that show. And um, we thank you for tuning in, you know, week after week, and and listening to me talk, and sometimes talk with other people, and hopefully address the things that mean something to you, the the things that have currency and entertainment, which is your appreciation of a thing. I think that you know, as fans of the genre, whether it's comic books or movies or music, or art, that we have become at least amateur appreciators. And I think that when people decide to go into industry, uh, whether you own a comic book shop or a record store, or you establish a record label, or you open a gallery, that you sort of upgrade yourself to the status of professional appreciator. And I think that, you know, that it's important to understand that there are a lot of other people who appreciate that you do that. And I think that it's important for some of those other people to realize that it can't happen in a vacuum, that without um, adequate support, those things will go away. So um, just as, you know, the, the loss of a person is, is a very real thing, the loss of a thing, the loss of a, of a store, of a, of a place um, will have uh, deep reaching consequences. And that's why it's really, really important in that same aspect of appreciating somebody while they're still alive to support, you know, the the venues that cater to the things that you enjoy. And it doesn't have to be a million dollar purchase. It can be, you know, just stop by and 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 um and contribute to the scene, you know. You can share stuff on social media and it's that's maybe not as valuable to a place or a 
an entity as a purchase, but it's something. And so I think that if you do appreciate stuff, you should, you know, tell other people about it and maybe they come in and and they make the purchase for you and you will have been central in that. And that's important too, because I think that in any scene, it is important to feel like you are a valuable part of it. And I think that because you go to art gallery openings and because you go to, to rock shows and because you buy comics and because you get on, on um, B2B and talk about that stuff and engage that um, you are an important part of it. And so we would like to hear from you. So until next week, I have been Matt Kennedy. This has been Pod Sequentialism. And uh, as we said, you know, you can follow us at PodSec, at P-O-D-S-E-Q. You can uh, get us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And I encourage you to also follow my, my gallery in Pasadena, which is Gallery 30 South, which is at Gallery 30 South. And... Um, website accordingly as well and la luz de jesus which is l-a-l-u-z-d-e-j-e-s-u-s dot com and you know at for all the social medias where we have the coaster show up right now it's pretty fabulous a thousand pieces of work in in one room but um again here we are signing out and we'll see you next week Hello, this is Matt Kennedy from Pod Sequentialism. And um, what many, many of you may know that I, I do run a gallery in Los Angeles called La Luz de Jesus Gallery. And what you may not know is that it's inside Wacko, which is probably the greatest center of pop culture in the world. And it may sound like hyperbole, it's not. Um, you can, if you don't want to trust my judgment, you can listen to people like Kevin Smith, uh, James Gunn, uh, David Mack, um, all of whom will swear that uh, one of their favorite places on earth is uh, Wacko, the shop that houses La Luz de Jesus Gallery. Um, whether it's blind box toys or little tchotchkes or art books, it pretty much is the place that you can get all of your Christmas shopping done for every possible annoying person to buy for that you can imagine. They've got everything, and I highly recommend that you visit them. You can visit them online at soapplant.com. You can visit the gallery at laluzdejesus.com, and that's spelled L-A-L-U-Z-D-E-J-E-S-U-S.com. Check them out and tell them Matt Kennedy sent you.